0: invite you to take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Who was that that just yawned over there? It's a big yawn. It was loud. It's, it, it's illegal. Stop it. Stop yawning. <laughs> it's contagious. Everyone's asleep enough. I was talking to our Sunday school class. I'm like, What's going on? There's like a vibe going on today. Like, what's, what's with everybody? And somebody's like, I think it's just leftover Thanksgiving, you know, kind of things. It's like, okay, that's fair, it's valid, but, but knock it off. <laughs> and let's uh, engage this morning, all right? Let's try to get all the brain fog out and engage this morning. And Luke 15 is where we're going to be. We've been here the last couple of weeks. And we'll be here for a couple, few more weeks as well. Um, we're going to read verses eleven through twenty-four, and and that's going to be our text. And we'll not get all the way through that, of course, but those are going to be our text verses. But before we read them, I need to remind you that all of Luke chapter fifteen is basically a parable that Jesus uh, speaks or told. Uh, and the particular reason and situation for it is found in verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And then verse 3 says, and he spake this parable unto them. Now, when you read through the rest of Luke chapter 15, you find that there are three separate stories that Jesus gives, but it's all one parable. And it's all pointing to where Jesus is going to go with it at the end uh, of the chapter. And the the this chapter, Luke 15, has been called by many God's lost and found chapter. And the reason for that is because there's three separate parts. There was the lost sheep, there was the lost coin, and then we would see the prodigal son or the lost sons, actually, not just one. Uh, And we're going to go there as well a little bit later on. But each of those stories uh, illustrates for us that every soul is precious to God and that sinners need to come to a place of repentance before God. But it was Jesus was illustrating how God receives sinners. And in the first, the lost sheep, it represents Jesus Christ, who goes out seeking after just one soul. And the lost coin represents the Holy Spirit of God, how this Holy Spirit of God is seeking after uh, uh, that which he could, could use for his service. And we talked about that last week. And then this third part represents God the Father, how he seeks after the lost that he might have fellowship with them. And so we need to keep this in mind as we read here, that there's a particular purpose in all of this. And a parable is a story. It's an illustration of a truth. And we need to remember that as well. Jesus has one central truth that he's trying to get across, and he uses a story to help illustrate that truth. And we will find here, again, that every soul is precious to God, and the application that we need to make from it is even yours and mine are precious to the Lord too. Now, there's a lot of pastors who will use this portion that we're going to read here uh, to preach to those who are backslidden, those who've fallen away. And there might be some application for that along the way, but the actual interpretation of the passage deals with lost things, and the Lord is speaking about the salvation of lost souls, and He's trying to impress upon all those who are hearing Him, and those who would read this, how God views the souls of men. And so with those thoughts in mind, let's turn our attention to this parable and Read this text verse, and then we'll get into this passage. Let's start in verse eleven. The Bible says, "And he said, a certain man had two sons." By the way, this portion that we're going to read here, uh, just like the whole parable itself was divided up into three parts, uh, we're going to divide this portion up into three parts. Uh, The verse eleven said, "A certain man had two sons," and we're going to consider each of them. The first son, the father and the second son, and we'll consider them in consecutive weeks here. Today we're going to focus primarily on the first son. Verse 12 says, The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto him his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and it came... And, and he came and drew nigh to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many... Uh, "'Years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at, uh, at any time thy commandment, "'and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. "'But as soon as this thy son was come, which had devoured thy living with harlots, "'thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. "'And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. "'It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead.' and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. Now again, we're going to divide this up into three portions. We're going to talk about the younger son today. Next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about the father. And then the week after that, if the Lord allows, we'll talk about the older brother. And he's really what this parable is really all about. And we're going to consider that uh, in the next couple of weeks. But we want to take our attention today and put it on this younger son we're going to see some things in here uh, about, about uh, those that are lost and how it represents uh, for us those that are without Christ, those that live in this world, and we'll make some applications uh, from it today. Let's pray, and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, I pray that You'd help us today with Your Word. And Lord, I do pray, Lord, for the Spirit of God to control my tongue and my thoughts. And Lord, we give this to You. And Lord, I pray that You'd use Your Word. Lord, use your- servant. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, help each one to engage today with the Word of God and to uh, open up their own heart to its truth. And Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would have freedom uh, to move and to work in every heart today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a a few things that we're going to draw out of this passage. And first of all, and we're going to focus our attention on this younger son. And the first thought I want to draw to your attention is this astonishing request that he makes. Looking again in verse 11 and 12. Uh, and he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Notice the the, the request that this young uh, the younger son makes and and it is an astonishing request and and the reason why it is is because he was asking for his share of the inheritance. Now you have to understand some cultural things that are going on here let 's go back to deuteronomy chapter twenty one just keep your place here in deuteronomy chapter twenty one when God was setting out uh, laws uh, for the nation of Israel and how they ought to uh, set up their lives and the generational aspect that goes along with families and so on. We find in Deuteronomy chapter 21, in verse 17. Notice this: But he shall acknowledge the son of the hated firstborn by giving him a double of all that he has, for he is the beginning. Of his strength, the right of the firstborn is his. Now, here, what we're finding is that the right of the firstborn uh, was the primary thing. This, the Bible tells us that in our text, Jesus is giving this story and he says that this boy is the younger son. And according to the word of God, the younger son was only entitled to one third of his father's estate as the second son, he's not the firstborn. And so what we find here is that the request that he's making is a legal one, since a man could divide his estate while he lived. But what was happening here was that his request was a cruel request. And you say, well, why is that, Pastor? Why was it cruel and why was it shocking that he would ask for his portion of of his inheritance? Well... When the boy was asking his father to divide up his estate, in effect, what this boy was saying was, I wish that you were already dead, and I wish that you had no more say or control in my life. The inheritance wasn't divided up until the father was gone, until he was dead. And so when this son says to his father, I want you to divide it, I want you to give me my portion, I want you to give it to me now, what he's saying is, I wish you were dead, and I wish you didn't have any control in my life. I want to be free from your control. Now, there are very few who would physically actually say that to their own parents. But that's not really the point. The point that's being made here and the application is that the lost man, because remember what this is all about. It's about lost people. It's about God, uh, how he receives sinful men. The lost man lives his life with the very same attitude that this young son had. He says, in effect, God, I wish you were dead. God... I don't want you to have any control over my life. His request was shocking. It was astonishing. It was cruel. But it was also selfish. His request was also selfish. I want you to notice what this boy said to his father again. Notice, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me. Give me. His focus was on himself. His life was wrapped up in himself and what he wants. The younger son wanted the father to give him something, but he didn't want the father in his life. You understand that? Give me what I want. Give me what I think is mine, but I don't want you along with it. The application is this. His attitude towards his father is a picture of the lost sinner. The lost person takes no thought toward God. Their attitude toward God is actually give me. And you say, well, why is that, Pastor? How can you explain that? Well, listen, listen, listen. Here's the truth. Are you alive today? And I want you to to listen to me. I want you to think and focus. Are you alive today? Yep, you're sitting here. Whose air are you breathing? It's God's air. Who gave you life? God gave you life. Who gave you the ability to work? God gave you strength. Who gave you the ability to think? God gave you a brain. God gave you a body. God owns everything. God gave you everything. And here's what people say People say, I want to live my life. I want to do what I want. And they're saying, God, give me, but I don't want you. You know what? There are Christian people. Oh, I love Jesus. Oh, I love God. There are probably some people in this room this morning who claim to be Christians. You claim to be born again believers. You claim to be people who love God. And yet you give no thought to God, except for maybe Sunday morning when we got to go to church. But the rest of life, you live it for what pleaseth you. It's the same attitude this younger son presented. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I love God. But I don't give any thought to God. You want God's heir, you want life that He gave you, but you don't want Him to have control in your life. When God made man, the Bible tells us that He literally poured His life into man. In Genesis chapter 2, God created man, and He breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God said, we're going to make man in our image. And listen, every day that men live upon the earth, they consume the resources that God has created for them, yet they do not acknowledge or want Him in their life. They want what He can give, but they don't want Him. And what a tragedy... You know what the Bible calls, listen, people live in this world all the time as if God doesn't exist. And people say God is dead or God doesn't exist. And the Bible says that the man who says there is no God is a fool. He's a fool. If you want to take all that God can give you without acknowledging him, you know, God's going to let you do that. He lets men live that way all the time. But you need to know that the end of that life has consequences too. The father, in this case, gave the son what he asked for. He let him have what he wanted. He didn't stop him from that. But the younger son had no idea the life that it was going to lead to. Do you know the Bible says in Proverbs 16.25 that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You might be here this morning and you live your life how you want. A way that seemeth right unto you. But do you understand that the end of that way without God only leads to death and separation from God? And that's in the lake of fire for all eternity. What we find, the first thought we find here is that his request was an astonishing one. And his attitude towards his father was, Give me what I want, but I don't want you in my life. That represents for us the way that people live in this world. They want all that they can gain, but they don't want God. The second thought is in verses 13 through 16. I want you to note the awful reality that he discovered. The Bible says in verse 13, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Then remember, who, who is Jesus talking to here? He's talking to scribes and Pharisees. These are Jewish people, right? And you notice that Jesus uses swine here, unclean things. He's talking about everybody who is listening to Jesus would have understood exactly what Jesus meant here. And so the Bible says, as Jesus is telling this story, he says that this, this young man went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, and he would have fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Here's the awful reality of the choices that this young man made. The son got what he wanted. The father gave him his one third. But he soon finds out that all that glitters and all is not gold. All that he thought about, all that he thought would bring pleasure to his life, didn't fulfill him at all. And what we find here in verse 13 is the reality of sin's pleasure. Verse 13 says, not many days after he gathered all, he took his journey into that far country and he wasted his substance with riotous living. He takes his father's gracious provision and he squanders it by living a wicked, self-indulgent life. The words riotous living here, it refers to a life that is totally given over to sinfulness and wickedness. When this boy left home, he also left behind any kind of moral restraint that he would have had. And he lived only to gratify himself and to fulfill every desire and whim of his flesh. Did he have a good time? Sure he did. He absolutely had a good time for a while. Do you know the Bible says that there is pleasure in sin for a season? The Bible says of Moses in Hebrews chapter 11 in Faith's Hall of Fame that he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. Oh, for a time it brings some happiness into your life. For a time it feeds that flesh and fulfills something. But you know what? The seasons of life, they change. And when they do, everything that brought you pleasure at one point in your life is only going to bring pain and emptiness instead. You know what that happened to me? When I was a young man, I remember very distinctly, Growing up in a Christian home, having some restraints in my life, but not being a born-again believer myself, even though I knew what the truth was, my heart was not toward God. My heart was out there in the far country, in the world. I wanted to experience that because it looked so fun. And it got to a point where I rejected everything of my youth. And I said, I'm out. I'm gone. And I went out into the world to try all that I ever wanted to try. And you know what? It was fun for a while. But I started to learn that it only actually brings emptiness. This isn't fulfilling like I thought it was. It was for a time. But you got to keep going back, and you got to keep going back, and you got to keep going back, and there's always an emptiness. And God began to start to pull at my heart again. And my mind was different. Because there wasn't pleasure out here like I imagined. And all the things that I thought were going to bring fulfillment to my life were actually only emptiness and God began to draw me again and my eyes began to be open to how foolish I had been. That's what's happening to this guy. He wasted his substance with riotous living, fulfilling and gratifying every whim and desire of his flesh. And there was Pleasure in it for a season, but the season changed. And when it did, all of a sudden, he found himself in a place he thought he would never be. A life lived for the bottle. A life lived for fleshly pleasures. A life lived for self. A life lived to to gain wealth in this world. It all ends up in the same place. Separated from God. The reality of sin's pleasure is that it doesn't last. And it brings something with it. Notice verse 14. Here's the reality of sin's price. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Eventually, his money ran out. And along with all of his money, so did his friends. They all left too. That far country that he longed for, that place of pleasure, where he thought he could bring happiness to his life, had only become a land of weeping and sorrow. And he found out too late that sin carries a high price tag. What does sin bring with it? Well, first of all, sin brings separation. How do we know that? Well, the Bible tells us here that this boy found himself broke, he found himself alone, and he found himself miles away from the place of safety. In verse 15, And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He would have fain filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. He found himself alone. He found himself being in want. He found himself separated from all that his father had given to him. He was separated from his father by this wide gulf of sin and pride and ignorance in his life. And let me say to you, friends, so it is with every soul that is lost in sin. We are separated from God. You might live a life of pleasure for a while, but at the end of the day, at the end of the road, there's only weeping and sorrow that sin brings. It brings separation. And it's got a high price tag. In Isaiah chapter 59, turn over there, just keep your place. Let's look at a couple passages of Scripture here, Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah 59 and verse 2, the Bible says, "...but your iniquities have separated between you and your God." And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You know what? It doesn't matter what a person claims or what a person says. A person says, I'm a Christian. A person says, oh yeah, I, I, I've been a Christian. I love God. But their life doesn't show it. Their life doesn't prove it. In fact, they're living a completely different life. And it doesn't matter what a person says. The Bible says it's your iniquities have separated between you and your God. You don't have a relationship with God. And it's your sin that keeps you from it. Your sins have hid his face from you. Sin stands between man and God. And it's a waste and it's a tragedy because it doesn't have to be that way. The Bible says in Jeremiah 31 in verse 3 that God loves... Look at that. Let's just turn... Since we're here. Jeremiah 31 in verse 3. The Bible says the Lord hath appeared of old unto me saying I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Here's the heart of God towards people. An everlasting love and trying to draw people to himself. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world. And the reason uh, that he sent his son to die on the cross was because of his great love. For mankind, the point that I'm making is that sin stands between you and God, and it doesn't have to, but people choose it. And this boy chose his life, and he found himself in a place of want, a place of separation, but he also found himself in a place of sorrow. The Bible says back in our text that he began to be in want. He had it all to start with. But life had turned upside down for him. And when the music stopped and the friends left and the money was all gone, he found out that his sin had robbed him of everything that was of value and it left him hopeless. It left him hopeless in that far country. But you know what? That's exactly how sin treats everyone. It'll promise you the world, but it can only deliver hopelessness and desolation and death. Romans 6:23 says the wages of sin is death. You know people say, "Oh, it pays to live for God." And you know what is true? It does pay to live for God, but you know what sin also pays? But it's a different thing that it pays out. It pays out in broken lives. It pays out in damaged uh, lives. It it pays out in health problems. It pays out in hopelessness. It pays out in defeat and depression. And at the end of the day, it pays out in death. That's all part of the package that sin brings along. Sin always pays off. Remember Galatians 6, 7. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Look at verse 15 of our text in Luke 15. We see the reality of sin's pleasure, the reality of sin's price, but then I want you to notice the reality of sin's pain. In verse 15, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his field to feed swine, and he would have fain filled his belly. With the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Because of his foolish decision, this boy found himself in a mess. In that condition, he learned some hard lessons. First of all, he learned that sin brings shame. Here's a Jewish boy who finds himself feeding with pigs. For a Jewish man to stoop to that level would have meant that he reached the very, very bottom of the barrel of life. He brought shame to himself. He brought shame to his family. He was filled with shame, in fact. And those who heard Jesus say this, they must have been shocked beyond belief. But you know, those who allow sin to have its way in their life, Sooner or later, they're going to come to a place of shame too. Not only does sin bring shame, but it brings suffering with it. Here he is no home, no help, no hope. No one cares for his soul. No man gave unto him. He's starving. He would have taken the pig's food if he could have. He's suffering because of the choices that he made but you know what sin hasn't changed it always brings suffering with it it looks good on the surface it promises everything this life that you think that you want to live for yourself young man let me talk to you for a minute the life that you think you want to live for yourself the life that you think you want to create for yourself it's an illusion it's a lie It's only gonna bring you death and suffering. How many countless people are living with the consequences of the alcoholism of their life? They started young. Sin gripped them. Sin controlled them. It's fun to party. But at the end of the day, they've got liver disease. Ruined lives, health problems, no relationships, broke. It promised the world, it promised fun, but it only brought death. And we can make all kinds of applications. The Bible tells us, Proverbs chapter 13, I'll just read it to you. Proverbs 13 and verse 15. Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. That's the real truth about what sin brings. It brings a hard and miserable life. Sin hasn't changed. This boy thought he was going to have a grand old time. He didn't want his father's control in his life. He wanted to live it the way that he wanted to live it. And he did, but he didn't realize the price that he was going to have to pay. Sin brings shame, sin brings suffering, sin also brings sorrow. No one around him cared whether he lived or died, nobody gave unto him. He was alone, he was lonely. He was hungry. He was broken. What a sad shape to be in. But for this young man, that was exactly the place he needed to be in order for him to come back to the place that his father wanted him to be. Do you know what? Nobody ever wanders off into sin and comes back glad that they did. Let me say it again. Nobody ever wanders off into sin and then comes back glad that they did. They all return broken and defeated. I know that's true. It was me, and I've seen it countless other times. The question is where are you today? What's your attitude toward God, towards truth, about your life? Well, I want you to note something here about this young man. He made this astonishing request of his father that showed his attitude. He found out an awful reality of what sin brings. But then thirdly and lastly, I want you to note his altered return. Go to verse 17 of our text. Verse 17 So we got the story of the condition that he's in, his mindset, what it was when he left. But now notice in verse 17, and the Bible says, And when he came to himself. Oh, his mind is all of a sudden changed. (laughs) Not all of a sudden, he's experienced some hard things. And the Bible says, When he came to himself, he said... How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. The prodigal son didn't come home the same way that he left. When he came home, he was a man who was changed by the time he spent in that far country. Notice, first of all, his realization. Verse 17. When he came to himself. When he came to himself, this boy's entire time in that far country and wasting his substance with riotous living was a time of insanity. He hadn't been thinking clearly at all. But now, after experiencing the reality of that life, the fog begins to lift. And he starts to remember how good he had it at home with his father. And he remembers that even his father's servants were in better shape than he is. Do you know what he wasn't thinking about at that moment? He wasn't thinking about how bad he was. He was actually thinking about how good his father was, not only to him, but all to all of his servants as well. And the application is this, a life lived in sin is a life of insanity, friend. And why is that? Because the sinner is blind to the condition and to his ultimate destination. The Bible says the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Why, does, why, does, why is the mind blinded over sin? Hey, look, you know what? If sin was presented to you like this, hey, buddy, you can live this way. You can go out and experience this and you can do that. and It'll be fun for a while, but I want you to see the reality of it here. You're going to have fun for a little bit of time, but then all of a sudden you're going to find that your life is a wreck. And you don't have all the control you think you have. And you're not happy like you thought you would have. And then after that, your life is going to end in death. And you're going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. I want you to be clear about all of this. Okay? If sin was presented that way, with the realities of everything, and you had a clear picture, how many people would change their tune in a minute? But see, that's not how it goes. The God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. And that is why people can sit in the pew Sunday after Sunday and they're not saved and they've heard the gospel and they continue to reject it over and over. Why? Because their mind is blind to the reality of their condition and where their ultimate destination will be. You don't see the danger. You don't realize you're in a burning house. You don't realize the house is crashing down. And you're going to die with it. If you realize that, you'd run and you'd get out. That's the reality of sin. And it's the reality of blinded minds. Sin says it's fun, you'll love it. There's so much promise out there for you, there's no consequence to that. You're going to live forever. Enjoy it. Live it up. Or you only live once. You might as well party. That's how it's presented. That's what our flesh sees. And the mind is blind to the reality. The Son, the Bible says, when He came to Himself, when He saw it, for what it really was and how foolish he had been. You know, the first step is to realize how foolish we are. The Bible says that Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The first step is to realize we mess things up. And I'm messed up. And when I begin to see that, when I begin to see the reality of my condition, that's when my mind begins to turn to the one who can fix it. The one who can save. We see his realization. Look at verse 18. We see his resolve. He says, I will arise and go to my father. And will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He makes up his mind here that he's going to go home. He's tired of the life that he has been living in the far country What he's longing for now is fellowship with his father. He wants to go where he can be loved, where he can be fed, where he can be cared for. He wants to go home. And even as he makes up his mind that he's going to go home, he realizes what he's done. And how he's lived. And he sees his own unworthiness Notice how he says, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your servants now. But he's willing to go home at any cost, at any circumstance. You can see the change in what he says. Remember how he left? When he left, he said, give me. But now he's returning home. And he says, make me. Make me. Before, he didn't want anything to do with his father's authority. But now he's willing to be a slave. But you know what? That's exactly what it takes to come back home to the father. It pictures for us a repentant heart toward God. That's what it pictures for us. And this is where every lost sinner needs to come to before they can ever be saved. They've got to be filled with the conviction of God over their life and over their sin and what they've done and how they've offended God. And the Spirit of God then takes the blinders off of their eyes and lets them see their condition, and he points to Jesus Christ. And listen, nobody can be saved apart from the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit of God in their life over their sin. You know what? Churches are full of people who are unregenerate people. That means they're not saved. Churches are full of people like that. Oh, we preach the good messages and the feel-good messages about how God loves everyone and just invite Jesus into your heart and just bring Jesus into your life because he's got a good plan for you and so on and and, and so on. And God will, will bless your life and the aisles are full of people walking down, just sauntering down the aisle, you know, hey, I want Jesus in my life. All I have to do is invite Jesus into my life. But where's the conviction over their sin? Where's the conviction over the fact that they've offended God and that my sin separates me from God? Where's the repentant heart that says, God, I am sorry for how I've offended you and the way that I've lived my life. I don't want to give me. I want to make me. You make me. You understand that? It says, I'm just give it all to God. I've messed it all up, and Lord, I need you to make me something different. There's no attitude like that. Conviction over sin. That's why churches are full of unregenerate people. They've never truly been saved because they've not had an attitude or heart of repentance toward God. What does Acts 20-21 say? Repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. Why repentance toward God? Because I understand that my sin offends God, that I'm guilty, and I don't want to be that anymore. This son before didn't want the father's authority, but now he just wants to be even a slave. I want you to notice verse 19 again. Because he says, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. He sees his own unworthiness and his own sinfulness. He doesn't see anything that's good about him. He doesn't present to his father, I'm still your son. We're still blood. His whole attitude has changed. And that's exactly the place that a person needs to come to, that I am not worthy to receive God's mercy. But I know that He loves me. And I know that He wants to extend it to me. And we're going to stop there for today. But I want to ask you a question. Next week we're going to talk about the Father. And how he received his son. And how it pictures for us the heart of God towards sinful people. And there's some really cool things that are brought out in this passage that show us exactly what God thinks and how God looks at you and me. But I want to ask you a question. When the story of your life is written, what's it going to say about you? Will it be a tale of a wasted life? Or will your story be the story of a person who had a repentant heart and came home to the Father? The question is, where are you today? Are you lost? Are you in a far country? Are you living your life for what pleaseth you? Maybe all the while saying that you're a Christian when you're not. There's no evidence of that in your life. Well, I would say to you, open up your heart to what the Holy Spirit of God is saying to you right now. And there's no better time than right now to humble yourself before God and come home. The Heavenly Father, He's there. He's waiting to receive you. And we'll see that next week when we look at the Father's response. If you're not saved today, you need to repent of your sin. Put your faith in Christ. If you are saved today, let me just ask you something. How long has it been since you thanked your Heavenly Father for saving your soul? For pulling you up out of that life of sin, a messed up life, putting you on a rock and establishing your goings, thanking God for His grace and His mercy in your life. We should never come to the place where we feel like we are worthy. Amen? Amen. It's only by God's grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray that You'd use Your Word today. There may be some here today who are like this younger son they want life, they want air, they want strength, they want health, they want to make money, they want to do all the things for themselves, but they don't want the authority of God in their life. The attitude is, just like the younger son, I wish you were dead, I wish you had no control over me. And Father, maybe there are some who have progressed a little farther and they've realized in experiencing the fact that sin doesn't bring all that it promises. In fact, it brings the opposite. And life is empty. It's miserable. There's no joy. They have got to keep filling it up with things that will never satisfy. And what they need is to come to the end of themselves. Like this younger son did when he came to himself. And maybe there's some that just need to realize the insanity that they've been living in. And resolve to come back humble unworthy. And Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would take the blinders off, that they might see the reality of their condition, destined for an eternity without Christ, destined for torments of the lake of fire. And Lord, that there would be a humble heart of repentance toward God. And for the born-again believer, Lord, that we would have a heart of love and thanks toward you again for how gracious you are. Lord, accomplish your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.